0: Well, good morning. We are so glad you're here. Again, if you have a Bible today, whether it's a a physical copy or even on your phone, you can pull that out. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to get there in just a moment, but today we're going to talk about how the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. And there's a story about a little girl in in a country church on Easter Sunday. And so as a part of that church's Easter Sunday worship service, there were going to be parts where they would act out parts of the Easter story. And so this little girl, she her part was to walk up to the stage, and on the stage there was a a, a kind of a representation of an empty tomb. And so she was to go up to the tomb, look inside the tomb, look back at the crowd, and quote the Scripture, He is not here, He has risen. So, the little girl practices. She's ready for her part. So, the Sunday service begins. They start the worship time. It comes to her part. It, it's time for her to walk up to the stage, look in the tomb, say her part like she's been practicing. So, she walks up there. She looks inside the tomb. She looks at the crowd. She looks inside the tomb. She looks at the crowd, not remembering exactly what to say. So, she just says, He's gone. So no matter how you put it, no matter what you say, today we believe that there was a time Jesus was crucified on a cross, he was put in a grave, but three days later he came back to life, and today he is alive. And we believe the resurrection changes everything, more than the invention of the wheel, More than the creation of the iPhone, more than the honey butter at Texas Roadhouse. (laughs) The resurrection can change your life. This is exactly what the early Christian leaders, this is what they said. The Apostle Paul, you know, the great Christian leader and teacher and writer in the first century, the Apostle Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. What is he saying? Without the resurrection, your faith is useless. Your faith has no meaning if Jesus is not alive. Peter, Peter, a follower of Jesus, the leader of those early disciples, someone who was an eyewitness of Jesus' life, someone who was an eyewitness of his death, and someone who was an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus, he preached the very first Christian sermon recorded here in Acts 2. And the main point, the central truth within that sermon is that the resurrection changed everything. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, just a few verses in there. And I want to set the scene for you because every time you read a passage in Scripture, there's some kind of background that's helpful to know. Every passage has context, and so here's the context of Acts chapter 2. You have uh, Peter, along with, the Bible tells us, 120 followers of Jesus. So Jesus has died, he's been raised back to life, he's ascended to heaven, there's about 120 followers of Jesus, left. they're all in Jerusalem, and it's only about 50 days after Jesus was crucified. Small group of Christians, 50 days after Jesus was crucified. Well, also in Jerusalem, there are thousands upon thousands of Jewish men, women, and families gathered in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. And so it was during that festival, during that time where those Christians, they're, they're hiding and huddled away from the authorities. God sends the promised Holy Spirit upon them. And they began talking and declaring the gospel. They began telling people the good news about Jesus in these different languages represented by the different nations that had come to Jerusalem. So if that were to happen today, the disciples would be speaking not only English, but maybe Spanish, maybe Arabic, maybe they'd be speaking Hindi, maybe they would speak Mandarin, they would speak all the common languages of the world. That's what they did in their day And so the people from these different nations, they're gathered in Jerusalem. They're hearing about the good news of Jesus in their own language. And literally it says this. They began to ask this question. They began to ask all of these followers of Jesus, what does this mean? What are they saying? They're saying, how is this even possible? How can these ordinary people do such extraordinary things? Now think about that in a larger context. We know from Christian history, we know from the pages of Scripture, Acts chapter 2 was just a spark that lit a flame that has led to the gospel being spread worldwide to billions over the century. So let's ask that question, what is happening here? Why are these men men and women able to do such extraordinary things? Let's ask that beyond that moment that would speak to us. How or why can ordinary men and women live and speak with power and purpose? How can ordinary men and women like you and me, how can ordinary teenagers, how can ordinary boys and girls like you and me live and speak with power and purpose? How is that even possible? Well, Peter, here's the question. Peter's listening. How is this happening? So he wants to give them an answer. So scripture tells us Peter stands up, crowd of thousands, stands up. It says he lifts his voice. He's going to speak to them. And He says, Hey, this is how this is happening that God has poured out His Holy Spirit on them. They're speaking and walking and talking in power and purpose because something incredible has happened. Something incredible has happened. And He's going to tell them what happened. Look at verse 22 if you do have a Bible. If not, it's going to be on the screen. So He tells them this verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. He says, Men of Israel, men and women, everyone, Listen up is what he says. I'm about to tell you what happened. I'm about to tell you why these men and women are doing such extraordinary things, why they're living with power and purpose. He says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So Peter says, here's what happened. You know this. Peter says, as you yourselves know, that Jesus lived and Jesus died, that no one in that crowd Peter was speaking to, no one would have doubted those facts. No one in that crowd would have said, you know, I'm not sure about that. Why? Because as Peter said, they saw Jesus. They knew Jesus. They heard the teachings. They heard the teachings about truth and compassion and forgiveness about heaven, about hell. They saw the miracles. They saw blind people see. They heard about Lazarus coming back to life. They knew Jesus lived. They knew Jesus performed miracles. Then they knew Jesus died. This same crowd of people, these thousands upon thousands, were also in Jerusalem just 50 days earlier when Jesus was crucified. They were in town for the festival of the Passover. They were there for the Passover. The same people Peter was talking to, catch this, were the same people yelling, crucify him. crucify him. They saw Jesus beaten. They saw Jesus with a crown of thorns on his head. They saw Jesus march out of the city gates. They saw him be nailed to a Roman cross. They saw the spear that pierced his side, and they saw him laid in a tomb. They knew whose tomb he was laid in. It was Joseph, Joseph the Pharisee. Jesus was put in Joseph's tomb. They knew all of this. They didn't doubt the fact that Jesus lived and Jesus died, and it's the same for us. There's no one here in this room, I believe, that doubt the fact that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth that that lived in first century Israel. And no one in this room would doubt that Jesus died, that Jesus died at the hands of the Roman Empire. We have first century historians tell us this, Josephus. Tacitus. These Roman historians, these Jewish historians tell us about this man named Jesus or Christus who died at the hands of the cruel Romans. We believe that. We know that. But but whether the crowd in Acts chapter 2 or whether us today, listen to this, just believing that Jesus of Nazareth lived and just believing that he died is not enough to live with power. It's not enough. There there has to be something more than just believing Jesus lived and Jesus died. And Peter goes on to say, what does he say? Verse 24, but God. You knew Jesus. He was accredited to you by miracles. You helped putting to death on a cross, but God. See, you saw the nails. You saw the thorns. You thought this was the end of this whole Jesus movement, but God. But God did what? He raised him back to life. Freeing him, what does Peter say? From the agony of death. Here's something we must reckon with: that Jesus physically died. This wasn't an act. This wasn't Jesus just passing out because of the pain. No, no. On the cross, listen to this: Jesus physically died. He experienced the agony of death. And why is that? Because of price had to be paid. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says this, without the shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness of sin. That if our sins were to be forgiven, if he were to be the atoning sacrifice, what does that mean? He was our substitute. He was your substitute. He was my substitute on the cross. If he was to be that atoning sacrifice, he would have to pay the debt of death in full. See, we owe a debt to God. You and I, we owe a debt to God, and that's our very lives. We, we owe him death because we sin. What is sin? Sin is falling short of the expectations of God. See, God has expectations for your life. God has expectations that are expressed in commandments. They're expressed in his word. And all of us, you and me both, we fall short of that. And because we fall short of that, we sin. We rebel against God, we tell Him, "Our way is better than yours." and because of that, Scripture tells us the wages of that sin is death. We earned death, separation from God, a debt we have to pay, unless someone pays it on our behalf. And that's what Jesus did when he physically died on the cross, when he experienced the agony of death, as Peter said, He paid the price for your sin and my sin. that Jesus died. But he says, but God raised him back to life. And after being in the tomb on the third day, through the power of the Holy Spirit, catch this, Jesus' heart had started beating again. The blood started flowing, and he started to breathe. Can you imagine? Jesus started to move around. He started to take off those grave clothes, and you know what he did? He walked out of the tomb. He was freed from that agony of death. And what does Peter say? Look back in verse 24. Peter said he was freed from the agony of death. Why? Because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. Why was it impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus? Because he was a righteous, sinless, perfect man. And after he had paid the price for our sin, after he had bore the the. the penalty, the consequence for your sin and my sin, once he paid that in full, guess what? Death no longer had its hold on him because death does not have a hold on a righteous man. Death does not have a hold on a man or woman who is in right standing with God. And he was raised back to life through the power of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is alive. And so what did Peter say? What was Peter's answer to their question? Why is this happening? How can men and women, Ordinary men and women live with power. How can they live with such purpose? And Peter says it's because of the resurrection. You saw him, you saw him die, but God raised him back to life, freeing him from the agony of death. And it's because of the resurrection that we can live with power and purpose, that today, because he lives, you can live, you can walk, you can talk with power and purpose. Why do I know that? Because the resurrection confirms two things. And we I want to finish out with this is the resurrection of Jesus. It assures us of two things, two things, validation and victory, validation and victory, validation. What do I mean by that? That the resurrection validates or confirms that Jesus is who he said he is. And it validates and confirms that what he did was with effect, that it was powerful for you, that what he did on the cross was powerful, that the resurrection is like a receipt, if you will. I don't know about you, but when you go into a store, you know, and you, you buy something, I think about a convenience store. I go in and buy a Coke, a snack, whatever it is, you know, and they always ask, put the card in. They say, do you want your receipt? Most of the time I say, no thanks, because you're just giving me something I'm going to throw away later, Right. So, so I don't want three, but there are some places you need a receipt. Now think about Sam's Club. If you buy something there, you either got to have a receipt on your phone or the paper receipt to show that you have a proof of purchase. You need something to validate that what you have is yours because you paid for it. And so hear me on this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's proof of purchase for what he did for you on the cross. Put it this way, the battle, the the, the victory was won on the cross, okay? And the resurrection is the triumphal procession. It shows, it proves, it validates that what Jesus did for you on the cross, taking upon your sin, freeing you from that, is true and real. And so catch this if the resurrection is real, if Jesus is alive today, then Peter says this, the last verse in his sermon, the last sentence, Acts 2, 36, he says, therefore, he's summing it up, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, in other words, this Jesus who died, He has made him both Lord and Christ. Peter's saying Jesus is alive today and he is the Messiah. What he did on the cross, he was the anointed one. He paid the price for your sins and that he is Lord. He is sovereign over all. So if the resurrection proves that, if it validates those things, what does that mean for you and me? So what? It means that I can trust him. I can trust him as Messiah. In other words, I can give to him my brokenness. Listen, when when we sin, when I sin, When you sin against God's commandments, brokenness enters our lives. And we experience that. I don't have to tell you that. That there's brokenness in our lives. There's brokenness in relationships and situations in our life because we or someone else has sinned. And if Jesus is Messiah, if Jesus has paid the price for that, then we can bring our brokenness to Him. We can experience that forgiveness. We can experience that forgiveness. And if He is Lord, we can trust Him. We can trust Him with our hurts. We can trust Him with our anxiety. If, if He is sovereign over everything, if He is in control, if because of the resurrection, He has been made Lord over all, we can trust Him with our worries. I look around at every face in this room, and I know every face represents a different story. We all come in here with different things that are weighing on our heart. Some seen, some unseen. Some known, some unknown. Some unknown. Things are pressing down or weighing down. But if Jesus is Lord of all, we can trust him. We can give him our anxieties, our worries, and he can replace those with peace. And so so the resurrection, what does it do? It validates. It confirms that Jesus is who he said he is. It validates and confirms that what he did was powerful and effectual for you. But last but not least, the resurrection, it assures me of this. It assures me Of victory. Of victory. That the resurrection shows that once and for all, Jesus conquered sin and death. And if He conquered sin and death, then He can give you that same power. That you can have the power over sin and death. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Peter says this, Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So what's our response to that? How do we have this victory over sin and death? It's turning to God. It's repenting of our sins. What does that mean? Confessing our sins to God. We, we say, God, I know I've fallen short in this area. I know I've sinned against you. Would you forgive me? And then I turn to him. I start living a life after him, a life that pursues God, that places him first in my life. And Peter says, if I do that, the sins will be wiped clean. That the sin that leaves a stain on my soul will be wiped clean. That I will experience the freedom and forgiveness that we can have in Christ alone. It says that times of refreshing may come. Do you need refreshing in your life this morning? Are you weary? Are you tired? Are you broken? Do you need that? Repent and turn to God. You can have victory over sin. You can have victory over death. And that speaks to our eternal life. That one day all of us will come to a point that will pass. The days that have been ordained for us, written down in the book of life, they will come to pass and we will pass away. But Jesus said this, John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to, to her, he was speaking to Mary and Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life The one who believes in me will live even though they die. So Jesus says, if you have victory over sin and death, if your sins have been wiped out, if you have right standing with God, catch this, just like Jesus, it is impossible for death to have its hold on you. That you will have eternal life, that even though you pass away in this life, you will live. That's a promise from Jesus. He says, why? Because he is the resurrection. That the same power that raised him from the grave, he will give you. And death will not have its hold on you. And that speaks to our current life as well. Not just happen, what will happen in the future, but what happens today. That the power over sin and death will be yours. What does that mean? If you have victory over sin and death, that means you can overcome temptation. I know many of you in this room today, there is a temptation Hebrews chapter 12 calls it the the sin that always entangles you, that we have those sins that trip us up all the time, but through the resurrection, we can have power. Listen, I'm here to tell you, you can overcome that sin. Satan would tell you it's too late, it's too hard, it's too much for you, but through the resurrection, you can. You have that power. Death and sin no longer would have power over you. You can overcome temptation. You can overcome grief and loss. That because sin and death no longer have its hold on you, that when you experience grief, and grief is real, because we live in this world and because we love other people, we experience loss. We experience grief. But that does not have to overwhelm us. That because of the resurrection, we have hope. Apostle Paul says that, yes, grief comes in our life, but we do not grieve as those without hope. That you and I can have hope because Jesus has given us power over sin and death, that we have victory. We have victory. You know, we sang just a few minutes ago this song, Because He Lives. Been singing that song for decades. Kind of the refrain, the chorus, Because He Lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, because I know He holds, what? The future. And life is worth the living. Why? Why? just because he lives. Now listen, whatever journey of life you came to this room, maybe you're despairing of life itself. Know that life is worth the living. Why? Because he lives. So if you've heard nothing else today, hear that Jesus is alive and that today you can have life in his name. So we believe here it's not by accident that you're here. We believe it's by the leadership of the Holy Spirit that you came to this place today. And I believe that many of us, God has spoken to us. That today it was through a song, a message of a song that God has touched your heart. It was seeing a baptism, a life, a new life in Christ spoke to you. Maybe, Maybe spoke to you and said, that's something I need to do. I need to declare my new life in Christ. Or maybe it was through the words of Peter that today you need that kind of resurrection power. Today, we want to give you a moment to respond to what God is doing in your life. I believe when God speaks, we must respond. And so we want to give you that moment of response today. Here in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing a song of response. And during that time, there'll be ministers lined up here at the front. And we want to invite you to do a few things. We want to invite you. Maybe God is speaking to you and you just want to pray where you are, but but some of you, I think God is calling you to step out and to come forward. That it's an act of faith, it's an act of obedience, that you would to respond to the work of God, that you would step out and come forward. Why would you do that? Maybe today something within you needs being resurrected. Maybe something today, you're carrying a hurt, a burden. You just need someone to pray. Maybe you can't even articulate what's going on, but you say, just pray for me. We would love to talk with you. We would love to pray with you. Maybe you're carrying the weight of the brokenness of your own sin and you need forgiveness. We would help lead you in prayer that you would repent of your sins, that you would come to know Christ, that you would be made new in him. You would experience the resurrection life of Jesus. And so if you would, would you stand right now, right where you are? Just a moment, we're we're about to sing. And after we sing, after we have this moment of response, we're going to finish out with a powerful song, so you want to stick around. But right now, I want to extend that invitation to you to come. If you need prayer today, if you want to experience freedom and forgiveness from the sin in your life, or you just have something overwhelming in your life, We invite you now as Jeremy leads us in this song that you would step out and that you would come.